welcome to Technology Voice, episode number 14, eCar Friendly. In today's show, we're going to be hearing about the Web Summit. We're going to be talking about fitness trackers, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit about um, drones and uh, other autonomous vehicles. We're going to also hear in our um, interview section, we're going to hear about the Entrepreneurship Report, recently released. And then in Cooltech, we have Microsoft Band and Amazon Echo. But to start off, I want to introduce our panel. Uh, in studio, we have Marie Bourne. Hi, Marie. Hey, John. Thanks for having me here. It's good to have you back again. Jack Carty. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, we have Andre Degler joining us from Wales. Hi, Andre. Hi, John. Thanks for having me here. And we also have Tom Murphy here in studio. Hey, how are you doing? So um, we're going to be back with you in a minute, but first of all, we'll have a word from our friends. Technology Voice. Today's show is brought to you by the Irish Executive Mentoring Program, IEMP.org, which aims to pair successful Irish entrepreneurs with uh, protégés who want to learn more and progress in their careers. Uh, you can sign up as either a mentor or a protégé at the website, which is www.iemp.org. Technology Voice. Today's show is brought to you from Flirt FM Studios in NUI Galway. Flirt FM is the student radio station uh, in Galway City, and you can find out more at our website, which is www.flirtfm.ie, or you can follow us on Twitter at Flirt FM. So we're going to kick off with our new section, and um, the big news um, from the past few weeks has been the Web Summit, which is uh, Europe's biggest tech meetup. And um, Marie, you were there, you visited a couple of interesting uh, mm. sections of it. What was the most interesting? Um, okay, well, two topics stood out for me, definitely. Uh, one of them was drones. Uh, ob- obviously, that sounds exciting to everyone, especially with Amazon um, possibly dropping off things to your door or through your window <laughs> or through your cat flap <laughs> in hopefully 10 years or so. But uh, so th- this was good because these are real people working on uh, drones research and looking at the logistics of getting it out in, um, in sensible kind of um, realistic ways. Uh, one of them that they gave was going to farms or going to mining areas where you couldn't actually get people or, you know, or actual big aircraft in to do surveying. I know it sounds very boring, but this is actually the future of drones for mm. the moment. It's, um, it's very practical. It, yeah, it's nice and practical. And they're, it's in areas like the outback where they're dropping off um, medicine and different things. Well, so, I, saw, I saw great use for uh, drones in uh, being able to deliver um, uh, fibrillators to people having heart oh, yeah, attacks. That's pretty cool. I saw that picture recently. See, that's fantastic. And that's yeah. everybody thinks, you know, th- they attach a big tech name to a new uh, emerging trend. Mm. So you go drones, Amazon, driverless cars, Google. And mm. we know, of course, that that's that that's like a long time away, and it's really it's really only um it's it's not something that is applicable to everyday life. We we want something that will save lives or save money. Mm. So yeah, you're talking farming and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one thing though that I thought was interesting, um, everybody knows Halo, right? So Jay Bragman is actually the former CEO, and he's a f- former founder of Halo. And now he's into the whole drones business and he gave a really interesting talk at the Web Summit. But one of the things he said that stuck out for me was he thinks Ireland is kind of well poised, is how he put it, to be a leader in uh, drone tech. Because he was like, wait a minute, we're not talking about actually manufacturing these little flying vehicles. We're talking about the software that goes into them and um, the legislation around it, different apps that might help, um, you know, APIs for it. There's just, it's it's like the mobile phone industry or the computer bit industry. It, it's a whole new industry that has is going to have a slew of products and services around it. And because Ireland's got this kind of vibrant tech startup scene that we all saw at the Web Summit anyway, he was like, why not? Why can't Ireland mm-hmm. actually get in on the whole drone business? And then, of course, you have to kind of put a pin in and burst his bubble because th- there's a lot of legal and ethical issues around it, too. Mm. But he, him and the other panelists did address this. In a lot um, of countries, I'm sure, not just Ireland. but um, Absolutely, yeah. everywhere. You're like, what? what is the ethical or legal implication of um, a piece of autonomous um, technology flying over your house or to your house to deliver something? Um, do you... I'm just throwing it out to everybody here. How comfortable would you feel with what kind of service that has an autonomous, um, you know, sensor and camera yeah, equipped? Well, I, I suppose for the drones, like I know there was also a, a follow-up event in um, Briefy House in Castle near um, Castle Bar at the, mm. at the weekend um, drones and data conference. Um, but yeah, I suppose you know it depends what areas the drones are flying over. You know, obviously you can yeah. see issues. Like the, the, I think the main issue is probably in terms of airports and drones flying near airspace whereas you've probably got lots of rural areas that you know yeah. flying a drone from one place to another doesn't actually cause much yeah. of a, much of a problem you know um that the defibrillator is a great kind of 
practical use case um, delivery of your uh, you know your your items from Amazon probably less practical, but yeah, a um, less. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like this, I mean, like certainly a friend of mine in the the UK is um, a camera person who's uh, training himself up to be a drone pilot, and there's a fabulous um, video, video of uh, that uh, adventure cyclist cycling through the ridges of uh, the Isle of Skye on his bicycle, and it's just done by a drone, filmed from a drone uh, using uh, with a GoPro attached. So I think it's sort of the sort of like incremental uses that can be used in confined spaces that not, that doesn't. Mm-hmm. The idea of uh, actually sort of things being dropped to your door, you know, you're running into sort of things like what if it fails and lands on somebody's head? What if it gets intercepted? You know, the sort of, the the amount of legal problems there are yeah. just too high. And like, and you have the whole civil aviation, civil aviation authority who are geared about keeping flying objects away from people full-time. That's almost yeah. the Because the, the audience existence. giggled a little bit when they brought up, uh, one of the panellists said, what if a drone flies right into your head? But that's actually a serious question. Yeah. Drones in urban areas might not be a possibility at all. Mm. Could be target practice for Texans. They're going to fly over my property. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, or actually, your poor cat. No, no offence to Texans. <laughs> I, I had a conversation <laughs> about this recently, and we were saying that, uh, you know, maybe... You know, if people know they are carrying valuable objects, they will start to try and target them and take them down. You know, uh, definitely. Yeah. So, Marie, um, what what else is interesting at the at the summit? You saw some um, some. Uh, well, you heard about some driverless cars, right? Yeah, I went to a fascinating talk on driverless cars, and um, the first of all, I'll set the scene. The only thing really that a lot of people know about driverless cars is the research pioneered by Google. Yeah. And there's this really famous Google video uh, doing the rounds of a guy who's actually legally blind. And he drives around doing his everyday chores, like going and getting some fast food, getting his dry cleaning, mm. chit-chatting with his friends. And then he drives back home and the car parks, parks perfectly. But one of the things that we do know about the Google driverless car is that it is, of course, mapped out on a pr- on a route that was mapped out previously by humans driving around another Google car. Okay, I didn't so realize it, that. Yeah, so okay. it's following it's following a predefined route, and that's mixed in with the. This is where the AI comes in. It's just a lot of sensor equipment and cameras and radar mm-hmm. on the front of the car, etc. That will um, do the whole, you know, collision avo- avoidance or collision detection kind of thing. So it doesn't, you know, go into another car, or it's um, obviously a connected car too. So it will be able to tell when other cars maybe that are connected are approaching or the yeah. lights are changing. Yeah. There's loads of different tech that goes into the driverless car. It's just yeah. so, so complex. Um, but this, of course, is something that there's no legislation for. Um, well, there's four states actually in America um, that have legislation technically for the driverless car. Um, but I don't, the, the Google car is not allowed yeah, on the and, road yet, right? And, and there are driverless aspects, well, not driverless, but, you know, uh, automated, automated or, aspects yeah, hands to, to cars. Off. Like, for example, you know, uh, we, we've done a video on, on Technology Voice about the BMW i3, which mm. I'm driving at the moment, and uh, we'll refer to that later on in the show. But that has this automated parking thing where I can parallel park by basically pressing a button and then you take your hands off the wheel and it kind of, you know, moves the car into position. So, again, in terms of legislation, if I have an accident with my car when it's in this automated mode, what's the insurance liability? I'm, I'm not sure, but um, again, it's extending that out to a much broader case where you're automating the whole I process think of driving down the road. See, I think you're liable because there's this, um, the, the 1965 Vienna Convention on Traffic laws yeah. um, has had an amendment last week Okay. because um, I love reading into conventions but it was just <laughs> interesting anyway they they made an amendment uh, meaning that uh, you and everybody else that has those cars, or I'm going to talk about the Audi A7 in a second yeah. and th- it's okay to drive them as, lo- as long as at any point you can intervene and take over um, but okay. I, so I would reckon that sounds to me like it would make you liable yeah. at all times okay. because you can intervene mm. at all times. So you're letting your car park parallel park for you. Yeah. But if the car starts getting into hot water, yeah, you, take, you're over, to take over or yeah, take responsibility. Okay. So yeah, that but but that brings me to the differentiation, I suppose, between the driverless car and the semi-automated or what Audi's calling it is the uh, piloted car. Okay. And so, yeah, I had a bit of a chat with their um, their head of um, car tech, uh, Andreas Reich, mm-hmm. and he was very keen actually to make this distinction. He was like, please don't call it the driverless car. It is not driverless. Um, obviously, you know, legislation in the EU and the fact that they're not touting it as uh, that kind of car but they've got a few different things in it like that they've got the um the whole idea of they they they've got this whole thing set up where you get out of your car press a button and it will go into the garage obviously a connected garage with sensors find a space and 
the app on your phone will, t will show you where it's parked and then you press collect me and it will come back out. And so I was watching the videos on this, it's quite impressive, but again, it's in, you know, pilot stages. Yeah. Uh, did anybody talk about the idea of a smart city? Uh, I'm like, these cars seem to be operating by themselves and uh, yes, they're connected maybe to other bits of uh, street furniture, perhaps. But would, uh, did anybody talk about the idea of a smart city where so the, car, the cars are actually connected to the, the city grid, as it were, so traffic lights could be done away with, so cars could be just into I'll bet that was covered weed. in the smart cities talk that I actually didn't get to go to. Oh, um, but it makes sense, and it was it was kind of sounds like the examples that um, Andreas was giving about the whole idea of, I think there are certain situations that the driverless, or that the piloted car is going to be used. People will want it on long stretches on highways between cities where they might get tired and cruise control's already there so it's going to be like basically another like a more complicated version of that there um there's the fact that in cities people don't really like waiting in traffic jams why not just do a hands-off approach so you can you know do a bit of work um or what or you know eat something and just sit there while your car uh waits until the traffic clears up so mm -hmm. these are situations that you can hopefully put your car um, in control but the whole, the whole idea I think um, that I got from the talks is it's very tricky to know when the car like should you ever give all control over to a piece of software and that's a talk that's been covered and you name the piece of emerging tech and everybody's always said um, where's the big red button where I can just go I'm out I don't want I don't want in anymore um, Hal you will not tell me what to do <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that, that's always a fear that there will there will be a piece of software that decides that um, it, it doesn't let human intervention be an option. Mm. And I think that's what mo that, that's one of the big things that came out of the driverless car talk. That and insurance. Yeah. <laughs> People were like, who's responsible? No. So that's still very tricky. Okay. It must be going to have huge implications for business. Um, you know, it just occurred to me, and this is a bit whimsical now, but um, years ago, the farmers used to uh, go to the pub with their horse and cart and have loads of pints and uh, they'd fall out uh, to the horse and cart and the horse knew the way home <laughs> sort of a driverless horse a and cart car. it wasn't <laughs> and uh, you know maybe there's a business opportunity to buy up some uh, country pubs that are uh, going a bit defunct if the driverless car comes in because uh, they'd all be able to go back out now and or maybe the monorail the monorail could uh, kick off again, just have to root from you know, yeah. the pub by your house and it could be all automated. You wouldn't <laughs> have to worry about tires and roads and uh, the other drivers. Yeah? Where <laughs> sure. we're going, there are no cars <laughs> or bars if they all get closed down. <laughs> um, thanks, Marie. So anything else interesting at the summit? Well, what uh, was your favourite gadget you saw while you were there? Oh, okay. My favourite gadget, that w hands down, that would have been the Microsoft Band. Okay. We'll be talking um, about it later on in our Cool Tech. We are talking about it in Cool Tech. Okay. Well, we better <laughs> we suspend our disbelief until then. <laughs> Thanks, Marie. Technology voice. So, Andre, um, you uh, have some interesting news about wearable fitness devices. I have my fuel band, uh, still wearing my fuel band, but uh, what's the, the story here? Okay, so <clears throat> yes, uh, there is a story which probably uh, the uh, manufacturers of those uh, fitness trackers won't really like. Uh, last week I read an interesting piece uh, in the Wired magazine, uh, so it was actually about fitness trackers and uh, the ways uh, that they can be used and the ways they are, are actually being used. So the interesting part and the news part in it is a number, like a stats from the US market, which says that more than half of US consumers who have owned an activity tracker no longer use it at the moment. And about a third of them, actually it took uh, for them less than six months to stop using their fitness trackers. So basically it's a device that people buy kind of on a whim and then they just stop using it. It sounds like gym subscriptions. I think there was a similar uh, trend there in terms of that six month window. Um, yeah, so it's, it's probably not great news, but um, uh, I don't know, uh, but I, I still see uh, new products coming out from you know the likes of Fitbit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, like right now, uh, the, the, that piece said that right now there are 118 fitness wearables on the market and 23 more are about to be released uh, until before the next of this year, the end of this year. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the market. So what you're saying is monitoring isn't the same as motivation? 
Yeah, so it kind of something like that. And I mean, uh, what also uh, the, the point of that uh, Wired piece that I really liked was that uh, uh, these, uh, these trackers actually aim at a wrong market. Uh, the thing is that uh, who really need uh, who really need tracking are people with some chronic conditions, uh, including diabetes or anything else, who really need to uh, count their glucose or any other any other things any other uh, uh, activities. Uh, so this is uh, where uh, these uh, manufacturers should be aimed. But at, this, at the same moment, uh, the problem here is that uh, that market, uh, the healthcare market, is uh, very, very strictly, very tightly regulated. So it's kind of boring to try to to get there to uh, to get all the clinical tests, uh, trials, and all this stuff. So that's why uh, the manufacturers actually aim at healthy people who tend to stop using their uh, gadgets in a half a year. Do you think um, maybe devices offer a little bit more than just a single function would be more popular? Like obviously, you know, Apple have, uh, pays a lot of attention to the whole wearables market and they really waited a long time before they released their watch, which not only does step tracking, but also does some hard stuff and so on. Um, you know, is it just that people want more? They want more things like uh, something that offers more functionality? Yeah, like if I buy this watch, yeah, it tells me time and it has maps and it also does the the step tracking is this just maybe a bit of effort i suppose to have an extra device you know okay everyone has their phones and they're kind of probably willing to use the functionality in there like the the different apps like run keeper and my fitness pal or whatever but um is there a, you know is it just a lack of function i wonder well, I would say that uh, I mean, even even if uh, uh, when when uh, we have uh, uh, those trackers combined with like watches and uh, uh, things with uh, more uh, more tasks uh, could be done on, but uh, I think it still won't be used for tracking. Uh, I mean, uh, people will still wear it, like iWatch. They would still wear it to use it as a as an actual watch, but uh, they might stop using it as a tracker in the same uh, half a year window. Well, if it's the case that people stop wearing it after, on average, six months, it means the novelty's worn off. If the novelty's worn off, it wasn't useful to begin with. It's they've, they're gathering data, but maybe that data is not being used properly. So you know how many steps you took, so you know how many calories you ate, so you know how many hours you fell asleep for. What do we do with that? And is there a way of maybe gamifying it to make people want to share it and then motivate them to keep collecting it? I think that's the issue, is that we're building up this data bank of information about ourselves or biometric information, and maybe we don't know what to do with it. Well, we did talk to a company a few uh, a year or two ago. Um, the name escapes from now, but uh, they put they had people <coughs> have wearables in their office and uh, by monitoring where they were going throughout the, de- throughout the day and... Uh, where they were sitting, where they were congregating to have conversations, they could help redesign the office to make it more fluid for people to part, you know, to op- to work in. And uh, so there, are, there are sort of monitoring isn't so bad in itself. Is that this sort of the idea that uh, you're trying to sort of achieve um, health goals on mm-hmm. your own, perhaps mm-hmm. without a coach, mm-hmm. perhaps without yeah. a, a greater infrastructure in place, perhaps without enough internal motivation or external motivation. That's, so how uh, do you the, use these ones that you get off the shelf, shelf to do something useful with the data? Like they're calling it quantified self, but what exactly are we quantifying? I think that one of the issues with the, the data, I suppose, is that a lot of companies don't really give you access to the raw data, so you can't really make a huge amount out of it. And I suppose it's just kind of, you know, vendor and app tie-in, like they kind of mm, want you to yeah. keep using their apps. There is, yeah, 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 there, is yeah. some, you know, there are some that you know, allow you to share stuff out to uh you know some of the different kind of health packet um health record systems but in the main i would say it's probably hard enough to get your data and uh even if you did well maybe a lot of people so yeah they basically with it. yeah so basically just uh, sometimes it just comes down to motivation you just uh, need to motivate people to continue gathering data and to, to do that you need to uh, offer them a way of using it that they would like do, really do you have like. any uh, do you have any devices andre uh, no, actually, actually, I don't. Hmm. Have anyone don't, else don't, in the studio? I, don't really feel <laughs> I use walk meter. Uh, <laughs> walk meter? Yeah. What's that? It's it's, it's an app on the phone that uh, just monitors uh, how far I've walked. Okay. Since I, I I don't drive and go away. I walk everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I can get quite a few miles under my belt without really trying. Okay. Where's well, your battery going? Maria, do you any of these devices? Well, I ha- I had a Fitbit, but it went in the washing machine with my tracksuit bottom, so that was the end of that. Oh, yeah. um, so I got an up band, mm. and that, I found that a bit better, but 
it didn't this this is going to sound really shallow it didn't go with every outfit it looks stupid with some of them mm. so I couldn't wear it all the time is, it, is that the black I'm serious thing with it the was bright, I got a bright blue one right. which looked brilliant yeah. in summer when I was wearing yeah. a lot of blue yeah. and then it just didn't really yeah. it was clunky as well you yeah. couldn't wear it when you were going out for the night or also I was afraid that if I was dancing it would fall off or catch in something okay. so there was an issue actually with who's, who's that made by do you um, it's not job one no it is, yeah, oh, it's yeah, jawbone okay. up. Cool. Um, like it, it did was what it was supposed to, yeah. but I was always afraid of it catching. It did catch in things. It used yeah. to catch in like the strap of a bag and then fly across the room. <laughs> so I was afraid, like if you look at some of the ones that they're developing now, like the Fitbit Flex, yeah. they've got more of a thinner, of, it's yeah, thinner yeah. technology, just a thinner yeah. strap. And um, the Microsoft Band, which I'll be talking about, um, had a thinner strap and it was easier to kind of click in and stay on. Yeah. So maybe design also helps yeah, no, it, and it, it, I'm using the step tracker on my iPhone instead All right. yeah. Bre- breeze it what about just, yourself John uh, well I, I had a Fitbit but um, a bit like Marie is, is uh, met an untimely end well <laughs> to be honest no, it, maybe it's still going but it fell out of my pocket because the earlier Fitbits were just a little clip you clipped onto your yeah. your belt or something mm. and uh, they were poorly designed we lost two in our house um, so I have the the fuel bands now, I, I like the fuel band I like being able to kind of press it and see the buttons and see how much I've, I've done I kind of forget to sync it with my 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 laptop or my phone, and there's a lot of data probably there that gets stored for a long time. And then every now and again, I kind of press the button, and nothing happens. I think, oh, the battery's gone. How long has it been gone for? It How many days have I not been tracked? Could have vibrated for? or something. Yeah, well, it'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, pinch me. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, I do use it, and uh, today I have gosh, about halfway towards my goal, so I have a lot of running to do after the show. But yeah, um, I don't know. But maybe design is an issue too. Maybe ones with more features that show you instantly what you're doing and they're slimmer and easier or less, um, you know, like likely to have them fall off your wrist. Maybe yeah. that will keep people wearing them. Like yeah. the, there was a lot of design issues around now that I've thought about it, yeah. around why I didn't wear mine. And yeah. then also it didn't display the... Um, ta- the numbers. Didn't display the numbers on but it. This function as a watch for me. That's kind of an attractive thing for me because I can say, "Well, this is my watch now," and so I can just press the button twice and I get the what time, you know. And yes, I can so also see the other information. Ones like the Apple Watch might uh, and possibly, the yeah, yeah, or you might, might yeah, the, the 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 new Fitbit again. I don't know if that does time or not, but it is kind of watch shaped, so I presume it does. So I think Probably, that kind yeah. of at least offers more functionality than just uh, a tracker. Okay, a, a useful wearable device would be something that would measure the pollution in your immediate area. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's uh, well, there's a company called Propeller Health that does um, tracking of um, pollen in the air, and they use yeah. that for helping asthma sufferers. Oh, I'd like that. No, mm. well, I, I don't have asthma, but I am um, one of those hay fever people. Yeah. always sneezing in summer. So, so, so they're a Wisconsin, Wisconsin company, and uh, doing some interesting stuff. So it's feasibly possible. You, you basically just get these devices to talk via Bluetooth to phones, and then they send the data off. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. yeah. Great. Thanks, Andre. So um, next up, we're going to talk to uh, Jack Harty, who is our tech finance expert. And uh, Jack, you've been perusing the document released by the government. um, And this is about entrepreneurship. And it's kind of a a plan for entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, John. um, It's called the National Policy Statement on Entrepreneurship in Ireland. It's dated 2014. um, And it's signed off by... uh, the Taoiseach on September 2014 hmm. and co-signed by Richard Bruton. And uh, is the report written by um, the government or is it written by some sort of uh, experts on policy or what? Um, it's it's uh, delivered by the Entrepreneurship Forum, oh, yeah. John, which was established by um, the Richard Bruton um, to examine the ecosystem uh, from the perspective of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So it has a lot of diverse interested parties coming, contributing to the policy. Okay. Um, and it, uh, what's the main kind of, you know, like the, there is a sort of a, a highlights I can see here in terms of uh, sure. more startups and more survivors and uh, more capacity. But um, so what, 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 what did you see as being the main things? Well, I, I think there's... <laughs> Big block capitals on page six, yeah, uh, and if and they're numbered one, two, three, yeah. so they're the biggest block capitals in the whole thing of of the guts of seventy pages, and they are increase the number of startups by twenty five percent. That's three thousand more startups per annum yeah. uh, in brackets. Uh, number two is to increase the survival rate in the first five years by twenty five percent. Because that that to me would seem to be a bigger problem than. More startups. I think you're right, and yeah. I was a little bit uh, uh, surprised when I saw that statistic, which is pretty much um, half of them don't survive. Yeah, 
Um, you know, and you, you know that brings me back to access for finance, and you know why why there isn't more finance available for startups. Well, there's one reason why, uh, because fifty percent of them fail mm. in the first five years. Yeah. Uh, so when you talk about financing, somebody's giving somebody somebody's giving an SME money, and uh, they're. I suppose their their obvious wish is to get repaid, uh, and if the company half the companies are gone in five years, well, the person who gave them the money yeah. have a fairly high chance of not getting paid. So that's a that's something that's probably worth um, uh, looking at in terms of if they can get the survival rate up, mm. uh, and that's a significant number, twenty five percent. So that's guiding the policy, and the third one is to uh, improve the capacity of startups to grow to scale. Yeah, by twenty five percent. Yeah, that sounds like um, a more difficult one. Like you can imagine, well, I don't know. They they, they both sound difficult. Like more survivors and capacity to grow and scale. How yeah. do they intend to do that? Well, the thing is, how how does one decree this though? How does one just? Well, that's that's a that's a. <laughs> how does one? It's complex, um, and there's sixty eight pages of fairly dense um, uh, writing in this, um, but. I I think that one of the key things that jumped out at me is, well, if you talk about this stuff and it's complex um, and you try and put in, um, uh, I suppose, strategies to, to support those three big things, um, you need to be able to measure it. And that's one thing I thought was good because in the, in the back of the uh, report, there are baseline... Um, performance indicators so they're taking a baseline in 2013 and they're measuring them okay. uh, from from 13 on so it's not just all waffle no the issue of course is does the measurement indicators that you pick reflect what you want to do and I think um, the basis for that they're using seems to be um, an acronym called JEDI which is the Global Entrepreneurship and Development Index. I thought I said Jedi for a minute. I was getting all excited. Well, actually, it's Jedi. It is actually Jedi. Sorry. So the people that run that, they're Jedi Masters, are they? Jedi Masters. Sorry. Tom is waving his hand in a kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi way. It's having no effect. He's not a Jedi Master. Were you in a survival rate, we will. Sorry, I was so zoned in and trying to follow this thing. Now, now we've got the Jedi's on board. And uh, what I thought was interesting was they actually, they kind of, um, they also cited, I suppose, grassroots movements. And, you know, obviously we're involved in a bunch of them here in Galway, in Galway like Star of Galway and Star of Weekend. So it's not just kind of uh, the government doing this, but they do emphasize, I suppose, that some of this co- stuff comes from, from the grassroots up, right? Uh, yeah, John, it, very good point, because it's right in the in the foreword. Um, None of this will happen unless you leverage, they say, the existing abilities of entrepreneurs and you have to create some kind of a a framework to transfer the existing knowledge of successful people across to the new company. So it's not all government supported. It's a government providing a framework, but it's trying to draw in uh, a huge diversity of characters into the the whole operation into the ecosystem okay very interesting and uh like have they you know obviously we, we've said that it, you know it, it depends what variables you're trying to measure in terms of how yeah. you actually improve there, there's but- a nice um there's a nice uh, spider um uh, graphic on page 17 what's a spider graphic oh i see kind of a it's a okay okay i haven't seen yeah, oh yeah, it's like yeah. A death story there's probably find. there's a better technical <laughs> name for that <laughs> <I guess. laughs> It actually does. <laughs> it does look good. That's there. Yeah, there's probably a more technical name for that. It just escapes me at the moment. It just looks like a spider's web to me. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, uh, what, what is that saying? Uh, that's that's based on this Jedi um, yeah. index. Uh, and that, that index, uh, we, well, we, we do okay on that index. Um, in 2014, we come 19 um, overall, which is a, a global one. It's a global uh, index yeah. and we uh, come 13th in the regional ranking um, so we're not we're not top of the list in the in the regional ranking and um, so some of the areas the Scandinavian areas apparently do well but there there are um, I'd say 
about 15 indicators uh, on the index and the ones that we we don't do well in um are things like risk acceptance yeah. or oh, our, our tolerance for risk <laughs> uh in other words if we fail we seem to carry that stigma yeah. with us and what um, do we like on gender gender poor, is very a very poor. interesting one mm. we're 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 okay but we're well, sorry we're not okay no we're, we're not at all we're we're very low on it sorry andre no, no, no. I'm just just saying that yes, gender score is pretty low for Ireland for some reason. Yeah, very low. You're is it right. okay if I interject then and make a comment about the Web Summit? Yeah. And um, their uh, Digi Women were one of the um, stands there. Yeah. And they they were doing a little survey on how women speakers at these conferences yeah. were on accepted. And um, so they'll have information on that soon. Yeah. Hopefully, at the next podcast, we can yeah. talk about it. But um. They had the the web summit was saying we've got fifteen percent women speakers this year and everybody yeah. went yay even though it's still yeah. quite low, and then ninety six women in total were speaking and again everybody went woo, yeah. but what what Digi women did was they looked through the speaker lineup to see if there were indeed ninety six women speakers and lo and behold speakers seems to include. MCs and moderators. Okay, yeah. And I MC'd uh, for a couple of hours, so apparently I was a speaker. Oh, you're one of the 15%, were you? Yeah, but apparently well I was one of the 96 well, speakers. You know, th- and Pamela, another f- a fellow journalist, also MC'd uh, uh, for a couple of hours. I was glad to see the Irish Times kind of kept pointing out the fact that it was only 15%, because, you know, it was kind of a, a point that needs to be made. Yeah, it was a very good infra- That's infographic. graphic, even. And, <laughs> uh, like, I, I know we've, we've pointed this out to the web some people by, uh, usually at the time of year, because we do our Tech, tech uh, 38 Women that this time. Yeah. Of the year, yeah. we usually say, "Here's uh, you know, 38 women you could have uh, added to your list." So it's not like those, you know, that the names aren't out there. It's just a matter of actually going and and asking them to speak. So uh, it, it is very small, and uh, you know, you can find 100 people in Ireland. Yeah. Never mind going internationally. So, and it, it is at a glance when you wander through the web summit and you um, look at who's moderating and emceeing, and you yourself are like doing a little bit of, and now here's blah, and then you run off. You realise that women are facilitating. Um, this is not going to turn into a gender rant, but women seem to be facilitating men at the web summit. There, in in terms of marketing, MC, and all those kind of roles, yeah, well, as opposed to uh, you know women being in a central role. It, and I'm not blaming the web summit. It's just something to well, why not? Like they, they, to they, shine they, the they, light you know, on. No more than uh, taking blame for Wi-Fi. Maybe they should take blame for these low numbers because. Because um, they decide it, it, who goes up on it's, stage. It's been obvious for a number of years that this is a problem. Like this isn't the first year that it's been said that there's been underrepresentation. So, um, and do you, they they every every organisation that has this problem always will say just to play devil's advocate to what I've just said. But they will always say there simply aren't enough women coming forward, and it's a combination of that and there maybe aren't enough women to choose from. And uh, what what do you do in the face of that that general See, kind I, of response? When I first. Uh, Worked with John there's four years ago. So the, the 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 blog the uh, the blog day twenty August the tenth twenty ten and it was over two days and it was my first uh, time in this environment and uh, on the first day I think there was one woman speaker on the second day there was a couple of others. This is, this is blog talk in Galway. Yeah, blog yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah. On the second day it was quite not quite a few but some more than definitely more than on the first day and there were people that had actually come women had come. For just for the second day to hear the other women speak, and that was the first time that I had, you know, that the the importance of having maintaining these ratios or having these people being put forward, if you have the power to actually make that possible, is is yeah. it a very responsible thing to to do. And with, with that in mind, Digi Women might have been able to do more around this, but they only found out apparently a couple of days beforehand that they'd got a spot. Right. They had hardly any time to do anything. Uh, does this report so. say anything about how it's going to balance that out? Or? Well, 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 go back to the spider um, graphic. Um, it, it, gender is one of the ones, as Andre pointed out. Um, and uh, for fellows of my own age, actually, uh, and I can have a rant about this, mm-hmm. um, I'm included as well because some of the things they're, they, they want to rebalance, uh, and I quote from the report, uh, improve the quality and range of ICT professionals domestically uh, to make Ireland a hub for technology startups. So technology is a big piece of the action. Um, stimulate and support uh, quality entrepreneurial ventures that have high growth export and wealth and job creation potential and the third one is um, to ensure uh, startups 
a target or clearly identified. Um, and following into that then, so, some of the areas that are underrepresented, so they say ensure that greater numbers of people, particularly in underrepresented cohorts, and by that in startups, I presume, um, and generally, I presume, uh, such as females, youths and older persons to start and run their own business. Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing that I picked up on it, and it's just uh, following on from what you're saying about the females, is that they are underrepresented in the HPSUs, which are the high potential startups, which are the, the ones that Enterprise Ireland look at the indigenous uh, high, and high potential startups. And that has a parallel internationally. That yeah. HPSU word is not just yeah. and, stand and on its own. I suspect, you know, the HPSU scheme, you know, being on the go for a number of years. But I, I, I do think Enterprise Ireland are trying to address this. Like they have the uh, Female Entrepreneurship Fund, which is now, you know, there's different stages. There's like kind of the... Well, you're bit, right. A bit like the regular fund where you've got kind of the um, the one where you seek some feasibility money and then you kind of go for the full grant. So at least they yeah, are trying uh, to address John, that. It's, and, it's, and also for young people, they do have the, the student entrepreneurship funds. You're right. But for older people, they don't. Correct. Well, yes. well, I, I'm... That's I'm one a, to work on, definitely. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, uh, given the way the economy is, I'm sure older people who would like to still be gainfully employed or to have their own business and they're not going to be favoured in you know when they're stacked up against graduates so and and actually that point you raised earlier about that ibec one and the mentoring um that, that there, there is um, an example of that and they are tracking older people here for their experience to sign up as voluntary voluntary mentors okay. and that brings in the whole they do talk about the whole voluntary network and it's a huge voluntary or the huge mentoring network yeah. and there is a, a, a sense that maybe it might need to be a little bit more regulated yeah. and benchmark set for people, you know, because it, it's great to have it, mm. but they just need to maybe orchestrate it a little better and get more voluntary stuff going. Yeah. Apparently, people are keen to, well, it, to it's, add it's, back. It's nice if there's a process, you know, like I know the, I know the, um, the Irish Executive Mentoring Programme will be using a software solution to manage the process and to match people up. And yeah. a lot of these systems now haven't fully used this one yet, but they do offer kind of a stage process where you kind of know these are the meetings I'm going to have and this came true and this happened and this happened didn't happen. So at least you can kind of have a check and see, well, how did this arrangement work and you know, did both people f- find it useful and so on, rather than kind of let's meet for a coffee and uh, see you next yeah. year kind of thing. So you, know, you, you can do it in a structured Structured approach. On paper or on using a tool if, 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 uh, if And there's probably to. an opportunity for a tool in there somewhere, I suspect. Yeah. Um, so if, if, if the core of the document is the JEDI index, we call it, yeah. um, the, the structure then uh, out of that, because that, that uh, JEDI index is quite uh, multidimensional, uh, so it's, yeah. it's a complex enough well, one. One of the things I, I saw there, Jack, and this is one we you know, score quite lowly as well, as well, is opportunity perception. Now, is that kind of perceiving an opportunity or what do you make of that one? I, I think that one uh, comes, if you, if you take the five headings they, they have, um, I think it comes under culture, human cap- and capital education. Mm-hmm. So it's all about starting kids early in the primary system mm-hmm. and working through that uh, to the secondary system. And all the, you mentioned, you know, some of these entrepreneurship uh, competitions that yeah. the secondary students are involved in and third level. Yeah. Uh, so uh, creating a culture which is structural and institutional driven uh, on a I think on an integrated basis, that okay. seems to be the whole drive. This thing has, is an overarching framework that seems to want to try and combine everybody, uh, so that you'd get the, you know, you'd get a, a kind of a joined up um, uh, strategy, yeah. uh, whereby, and what I again I say I like on it is that whether the um, measurements, the metrics they use are, are right or wrong, and they do say that these will evolve over time, they're setting out their stalls in, in measurable metrics and they're going to, they have a baseline for them and that's in an appendix at the back of the report. And actually, if, if, if you did want to get a sense of, uh, you know, what's going on it's no harm to go back and look at the metrics because that puts a fairly hard edge on what's trying to be achieved you know mm. um, and you would be looking to see uh, I suppose the measurements Im- improving and maybe new measurements added in but I presume you know it, it, the old story we we will inspect what we expect yeah. um, you know uh, then this is 
seems to me to be good. I found it um, a tough read. Uh, there's a huge amount in it. Um, the 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 headings. The five. There are five kind of pillars. Um, there. Are, Culture, the first one is culture, human, capital, and education. So I just mentioned that. Um, the second one is the business environment and supports. Um, that's all about making it easy to do business and to try and integrate uh, one-stop shops for where you'd figure where all the supports are for your particular business. Uh, the third one is innovation uh, and um, to try and create a, a, an environment for innovation because it seems to me to be a, a lot about new new technology, uh, entrepreneurs creating uh, new products or services. Um, access to finance is a bit of a bugbear. Uh, I, I could take another show to talk about that um i i am still a little critical of that um uh, and i i'm not going to go into it now because uh, because of time but um uh, uh, the fifth one is entrepreneurial networks and mentoring you mentioned that john and i think the key seems to be to join it all up and to create um uh, some kind of benchmarks and standards uh, and to leverage the whole voluntary stroke experience people yeah. that have been there and done that and who have skill to pass it on because you can be an entrepreneur and you might necessarily be the best mentor. Uh, so perhaps uh, have an innate skill or be trained to impart and have a structure, as you mentioned, on that. And then the final one is access to markets, and that's all about um, export. And what's interesting to note, and it's, I've seen it in the media recently, you know, all, all of the um, these companies that have been operating through the down cycle uh, have done reasonably well because they're selling out to economies that are less ill than our own. Uh, so the domestic economy has been fairly uh, crucified, uh, whereas um, uh, foreigners uh, still have money to buy if you if you if you produce stuff to sell to them, and that's a key piece then to enhance that ability to get out there and create those new markets. So they're the five or six pillars. Uh, so overall, even though it's a tough read, it's, it seems to me to be a well crafted document. Yeah. Um, and if one wants to grasp the whole entrepreneurial. Um, ethos in Ireland and have a view that 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 it exists and it is high up the scale uh, that this is no harm of a document to read and e- even if you just wanted to get a fast version read the metrics at the back yeah it, it, it's a good you know but what I like about it is the the actions at the end of each section where they kind of yeah. they, they basically say here you are SFI and here you are these are your things that you're supposed to do yeah they, they, you know I suppose in fairness a lot of them are assigned to government bodies because they obviously can mandate or at least you know indicate that they should do this stuff whereas there are some in there that are targeted towards entrepreneurs for example the, the grassroots networks and so yeah. on are actually kind of targeted at this general group called entrepreneurs because they realize that you know it's not us that has to drive this but it's you guys yeah so um, there's, there's a nice balance of um of what well, first of all the actions for each of the, the six sections you mentioned and then kind of in terms of the groups um but as you say the proof is in the metrics it, it, and yeah. how they actually you know tick those boxes is there any sense of accountability or a time scale for when they want solid improvement or to see different um, uh, well actually results? you know that's where because i i did in uh, um in more exciting reading at another state read the action plan for jobs and that one uh which is i don't know about 400 lines of actions in it everybody gets a job uh this one um the actual all the people are mentioned it's probably too complex to to set jobs, but there is an implementation and monitoring uh, of progress uh, on page 55, a section there. And I think it's the uh, department um, uh, to drive this process, uh, an implementation group, they say, would be established, chaired by the Department of Jobs, Enterprise and Innovation and with membership drawn from enterprise agencies and the key collaborative um, departments. Uh, and this group will have a formal structured engagement with industry partners. And, um, you know, and these are the metrics then that they're going to measure, uh, so, that they suggest they're going to measure. Uh, so while, you know, um, heads haven't been haven't been nailed to the wall in terms yeah. of this stuff um you know there's very specific um uh, areas of responsibility mentioned in the report and i'm sure in time if it follows the uh, action plan for jobs people will 
I hope so. Everybody likes to see good ideas, but you don't want them to just die down when all the excitement's gone away. You want to see something being followed up. Like you would hope that you would pick this up in two years' time and it would be a markedly different report. Oh, just to to, just to wrap it up, Jack, say like say somebody like myself, a a neophyte entrepreneur, what use of that would that be to anybody starting off in the businesses that they claim to be supporting? There there is a section there on innovation and it, it does describe all of the support structures that are available. So I think even kind of from a perspective of a newbie you can get a feel for what's out there. Like you may be totally unaware of the funding mechanisms or the fact that there are these networks like Startup Ireland or, um, you know, uh, the, the various um, business groups even. Um, I, th- I think it's actually, it, just reading it from that kind of perspective, I think you will learn a lot about stuff you would have been yeah, unaware yeah. of. Yeah, and I, I think, John, uh, or Tom, to answer your question, this is a strategy paper. So for a guy on the ground... You know, it won't. It won't give you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Tom just flicked it over his head. But, but it should. Uh, a strategy should devolve down to to actions. Yeah. So this uh, this should drive um, what John talks about in terms of one stop shop um, um, websites, which says, look, I can't be going all over the place to figure out who helps me where, and there are specific mentions of those in this strategy right. examples of ones that are there so they obviously want to build on that so you have a disjoint up thinking which right. is all driven at, at, at entrepreneurship you know so you know um, so it's just getting everybody facing in the same direction correct yeah and you know as I mentioned the finance piece you know they're fairly they're fairly critical about the finance piece and uh, uh, I wouldn't mind maybe touching on that again maybe another day you know okay. yeah. because it it leads into uh, it seems the core of what they're um, t- talking about when you boil it all down is creating jobs yeah but I, I have a question in my mind which is you know you talk about uh, high potential startups and technology and it's all driven that way so they talk about a, a an economy that's um, uh, there are three types of economies they mentioned factor driven which is your kind of raw material commodity stuff uh, your, your your next phase would be efficiency driven so you're starting to get more efficient and we seem to be uh, uh, positioned as the innovation type economy so mm. it's high value add techie stuff you know that yeah. we talk about here uh, so if I was a guy starting up one of those businesses and if I was expecting to employ people in the high value add I, I, I'd have a d- debate with people how much would you expect to pay those you know uh, would you would they all expect to get paid 50 or 60 grand a year and if you <coughs> excuse me if you had a 10 of those that's 600 grand of a payroll you need to be you know doing maybe a million and a half turnover um the hbsu's um one of the metrics is they want you to get to um a million turnover within three to five years yet they say that it's a very steep hill to climb and that only something like 25 percent of them are are getting up the hill that fast you know so you know, it's fairly challenging. And I wonder, what about the lifestyle businesses that are less high-tech, you know, that you could also support? And they seem to be missing that. And that's one of my rants. Like, yeah. you know, you know, whereas we we might have 10 people on 35 grand a year, um, you know, doing a bit of manufacturing yeah. or whatever, and we needn't have that million turnover. We might have... You know, three quarters yeah. of a million, we'd all make yeah. a few bob. It's, it's, and it's live interesting. Happy. Like, for example, there, there is a new uh, incubator here in Galway called Startech Six, and you know, while they are obviously tech oriented, they also have a mixture of other types of businesses in there. You know, they're ranging from food to lifestyle to whatever. So, um, it would be interesting to find out. You know, what are the setup costs? Because we always assume that for tech companies, you can do stuff a lot cheaper because you can, you know, all the tools are free and so on and okay maybe the people are the, are the high cost but what's the balance there between having a company that's non-tech and requires more physical resources but maybe different types of salaries and then the techies who are big in demand and highly paid and you know you're 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 up does it balance out overall i suppose yeah i um yeah and it's a balance overall and you know i know the world is going to high tech and that's what we talk about here but can you have high tech coming across into manufacturing and make some stuff but make it smart you know mm. uh, make small stuff smart like or whatever yeah. um, 
I, I just think the pendulum seems to swing all the one way all the time and, yeah. and then swings back. You especially know, in these kind um, of reports, but you know, it's it's trendy. It's a bit like, you know, the newspaper articles, you'll always see the ones about the founders who set up the the app that sold for many billions, whereas you'll never hear about the person who does a business of another type that is worth, you know, turning over hundreds of millions. You know, it, it's it's just uh, it makes news, I suppose, in some respects. Yeah. And same yeah. with same with these reports. Technology voice. We're going to have a chat now about cool tech. And Marie, you know, we uh, we had to wait with bated breath to <laughs> yeah. hear about the Microsoft bands, but you're going to tell us. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, like I said, it was one of the coolest things I'd seen at the Web Summit. Yeah. Um, I went along to the Microsoft stand just for my free coffee. Okay. <laughs> but um, You got a shock then. There was something else interesting <laughs> so, there. Well, I, I, I started talking to the uh, people that were Stephen Howell. He's actually the oh, yeah. education outreach officer. Yeah. Great guy. We started talking about all the different things he does for kids with scratch and everything. And then, of course, it goes to the latest gadget that Microsoft yeah. has. Okay. So I was like, you don't happen to have a band on you, do you? So I got to play with it for a few minutes. Yeah. and um, it's obviously not a smartwatch um, I, I call it that accidentally and they were mm. like it's not a smartwatch okay. this is a fitness tracker it's only okay. a fitness tracker mm. um, and not only but it's specifically a fitness tracker I suppose and a very smart connected one mm. Um, it's not it's not quite standalone like the up or the one you're wearing um, it's I suppose it's like it, it talks to uh, you know Microsoft's version of Siri Cortana yeah. So it talks to Cortana on your on your Microsoft phone, mm-hmm. but um, it also works with an app on the on Android or the iPhone as well. Mm. So what it does basically is it's got built in GPS. It's got a little screen. Um, it, it does all the things that a lot of them do, like it it counts your sleep, your steps, and um, your heart rate. But it has a few other little strange ones on it. It counts or it measures UV level. Okay. So you can tell if you need to put on a bit of slap on your sunscreen before oh, wow. you go out for a run, yeah. which to at which point um, somebody pointed out that that's useless for a feature in Ireland. But UV comes through <laughs> waves come through clouds, so it actually is useful. Okay. And um, strangely, it's it measures the salt saltiness of your skin. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what that was about. I was like, well, why we need to know that? Um, I didn't quite. Like, I'd have to. Hopefully, I'll be getting one to test soon, and I'll see yeah. what that Dehydration means. But, um, it could be. It could be something to do with that. Yeah, it could, it? yeah. It's galvanic skin response kind of yeah. thing going on. So I was like, "Ooh, sounds very yeah. shiny and high tech." You use that um, for emotion detection, as far as I remember. Uh, galvanic skin yeah. response. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. It could. It could be to do. Well, they make your sweating. So it, well, anyway. So it's got like all of these different biometric indicators. So it does seem like one for the hardcore um, fitness geek. I would think. And and, and, and the nice. It, it's beautiful looking. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful looking. Um, it uh, I I haven't got to play with a with an Apple Watch yet, but just from looking at them, I thought they looked a bit um, over over like uber snazzy. Yeah. Did anybody else think that? I didn't. Too long in the design room. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really. Yeah, too long in the with 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 a paint box and a palette as well. I don't know. I just thought it was a bit. It looked like a Gucci watch as opposed to an Apple watch, which I thought was a bit of a problem. Um, I like I like my minimal Apple design, so, uh, that's why I like the Microsoft band. Mm. It's really it's got that lovely minimal minimalist design and. Um, it's nice and slim and it's just everything the UI and everything is really like it's pared down kind okay. of a UI so it's very nice and easy to get through but um, it, it also like if, you, if you're getting um, an email it'll come through on the okay. screen okay. Um, it'll be a preview you can't actually why yeah. it's called um, a fitness tracker and not a smart watch is because you can't respond to it it okay. only comes in through your phone oh, okay. so, so you can see yeah, so, yeah, so you, exactly yeah. you just get notifications so yeah. you'll get your phone call how, how big is the screen? Um, it's a, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just one is it about an inch and a bit? Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, so it, maybe it, it is a, big enough to show. Yeah, like it will. It'll yeah. scroll your, you, you know, your email preview will scroll along, okay. so you can see all these things. But I suppose one thing you're probably wondering is like, what what use is that if you can't reply? Yeah. So that might be. It depends. It'll take time before people have them for a while and play with them. But it might be a bit of a gimmick. You might need that. Yeah. But what you can do is it will. It will. You can download your fitness plan to it. So say you've got your run work, your workout, um, thing set up. It like you'll be able to listen to that and go and do okay. your you, you can off you go with your run and obviously because gps is built in your it'll it'll track your route okay. so it's got it's a self-contained fitness tracker and it tracks your sleep and all that kind of stuff so i i think it's definitely worth the 199 dollars mm. um it's only launched in the u.s now mm. and it's sold out completely okay um so it, it sounds really nice um and hopefully it'll outlive the six-month uh, barrier which we talked about earlier oh god i really hope it does because like even 
even if you don't have your Windows phone and you don't have yeah. Cortana, I think it will do enough with the app on your... Is it a watch? Can I see the time on it? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny because I was saying to the Microsoft people, I was like, um, so sorry for calling it a watch, but then I looked down and it goes into watch mode. Okay, okay. There's a button called so watch time, mode. Well, that's okay. You can actually just I, tell I your time. I may get one then. At least I can, <laughs> I, I can replace my other watch. And you can change the, it, even though it's just like it's black and black and one other hue, so okay. it's nice and minimalist. Okay. But uh, you can change to whatever hue you want, so I don't have to worry taking putting it on, and then one it doesn't go with my outfit. Okay. Did you say one hundred ninety nine dollars or dollars? Yeah, dollars. it's not in Ireland. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. So you'll have to, um, yeah, head over to the US before Christmas if you want to get your hands on it. It okay. looks like. Thanks, Marie. So uh, that's the Microsoft Band. Um, in, we, we've been talking about the Internet of Things in previous shows and uh, the Internet of Everything, I suppose, where we're connecting more of our devices at home to the Internet. And obviously the design of these devices is um, is quite important as well. I think ambient design is the term for interacting with um, with with uh, these things in our house. But um, Andrea, you've been looking at the Amazon Echo um, virtual assistant. I saw somebody likening this to the Star Trek uh, computer where you kind of say, computer. Yeah, harsh Ooh, we can book. mix that with the 3D food printer that was that was one of the stalls in the web summit so computer make me uh, raw mints or whatever it is <laughs> it prints out <laughs> no maybe not that <laughs> <laughs> they've never had that in Star Trek we've gone from Star Wars to Star Trek Andre what is the Amazon Echo so Amazon Echo is uh, as you just said it's a, it's a home assistant it's like a cylindrical thing a bit bigger than a two liter water bottle and uh, it is basically one big speaker a bluetooth speaker uh, with a built-in assistant uh, which is uh, like google now or siri or cortana for that matter so basically you can uh, uh, you need to you need to plug it plug it in into an uh, electrical outlet and then it will be able to give you basically whatever you want. It can give you answers to all kinds of questions. It can play for you some music. It can give you a news flash briefing or pretty much everything you, you might need. So the only catch here is, uh, in my opinion, the, uh, uh, the, the fact that you need to plug it in. So you cannot really drag it uh, with, you, with yourself from lounge to your bedroom and then to your kitchen. You either need to get to, to, to get three of them or I'm not sure uh, how can you solve this problem. So Tom, we recently uh, recorded the video about the BMW i3, which you can view on the Technology Voice YouTube channel, youtube.com slash technology voice, quick plug. But uh, we could have used with this next device for that. It's the Onyx Walkie Talkie by OnBeep. What you could this? definitely use this device for that shoot. Um, uh, just uh, for those who haven't seen the video, um, there's the video of the car driving around Galway, and then at the end of it, there's the making of video of us filming the car driving around Galway. And uh, as it can be seen in the video, I'm actually in one car while John is driving another car, and it would have been very useful for us to uh, communicate by walkie-talkie. Try to use a phone, try to use text, it just was too cold, too difficult. And this uh, device by Onyx, it's a circular pucks-sized thing with a big button in the middle and uh, connects by your smartphone mm. and you just press to talk. It's a PTT device. Okay. Get, uh, the use for this device beyond that is sort of you can imagine sort of all sorts of places where you need to be constantly talking to somebody in communication and you don't want to be holding a phone, you don't need to, um, uh, can't be texting. Mm. But to actually sort of have something that actually works like a walkie-talkie, maybe you're sort of just trying to search for something in an office over a couple of floors and having people talking to each other be a walkie-talkie so yeah. do you just hold you just hold the button then and release color. release when you stop speaking that's right yes well that's, that's like stuff. on star trek as well then it is it's it looks like we're getting lots of those references <laughs> today but does it come yeah. in the same shape as the badge on the enterprise it's this little round thing uh, we can get <laughs> i'll some just little. have to customize it then <laughs> we can yeah. plastic wedges around the edges yeah uh, <laughs> i think i still have a star trek badge somewhere Okay, thanks, Tom. Um, so uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today. We're going to wrap up, and uh, next uh, show we're going to hear a little bit about finance, as, as Jack mentioned, and also I'm going to have a rant about Aircode, which is the new national postcode system. Hope you'll join us for that, and I hope you enjoyed the show today. Thanks, Marie. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, John. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andre. Thank you, John. And we'll see you all next time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>